0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the David on and David on Real Estate podcast. And we are today on episode number 33. 32, 33. Sorry, 33. 33. A nice round number. And today we have lots to talk about because we are literally anticipating the Bank of Canada to make their interest rate announcement. And uh, today's a big day. Today, day that a lot of people have been talking for a really, really long time because the consensus is that the Bank of Canada will raise rates by 0.25%. And, you know, David, I've been reading articles, I've been listening to podcasts, I've been looking all over the internet just to see what the consensus is. And I would say that 95% of the people out there I really expect the bank to actually step up and raise rates today. Personally, my opinion is a little bit different. You know, I I look at what's going on out there. I look at, you know, um, the political situation in Canada. I look at the fact that, you know, Trudeau was elected with a minority government, even though he, you know, it was in a position where he had the highest ratings. You know, he gave out so much money during COVID to people um that I think when he called for the election I think he was really anticipating a walk in the park and 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 to really get uh, a majority government he didn't he got a minority government there's another re-election two years from now we have the freedom uh, convoy in Ottawa we have the emergencies act that was just evoked and the latest is the war in Ukraine so really difficult political situation and I think even though um the Bank of Canada is arm's length, it's a crown corporation's arm's length from the government and, and they're not really supposed to get involved in the politics. I think it's really hard to disregard the current economic landscape um, in um, a policy change. And a and policy change, even though 0.25% might not seem significant to most people, it's the change in consumer confidence that could have the biggest effect on our real estate prices. And that's really um, why, in my opinion, it, it is a very difficult decision for the Bank of Canada to step up and raise rates. We all agree that they should be doing it, but it's, you know, it's one thing to um, know that you should be raising rates and it's it, it's another thing to really raise the rates and then watch it have the effect across uh, the industry.
1: Well. Right. You've, you've mentioned a lot of things. I want to unpackage some of that there because uh, there's, there's a lot of issues involved and you're, and you're, you're bang on in your analysis. Uh, in my opinion, but for COVID, we would have had these interest rate hikes a while ago. Nope. Uh, right? So there, there's always, you know although they act independently, there's always political pressure uh, because it's never politically good to make an announcement like an interest rate hike, knowing that that's going to affect some people relatively directly and things like that. So it's not politically good to, to ever raise a rate, ever increase taxes, things like that. But that can always be overcome with other policies and stuff. But the, the, the question is the timing and they have to look at what else is going on in, in the economy. And, and the pressure on the government is to not do it and certainly not to do it during COVID because there's enough pressure on the economy and there is there were so many things that were shut down anyways and supply chains were affected etc there's a lot of effects in the economy and to just throw that on is like piling on and if they stop the real estate industry or slow the real estate industry down you know then what's driving the economy right no now you, you shut down real estate they're not not selling new houses that slows down the whole supply chain in the real estate industry both from the construction point of view to the after construction retailers, you know, who are going to be selling appliances and and couches and and furnishings for homes and things like that, right? So like it's a it's a big ripple effect with these type of decisions. So yes, you know, interest rates have been historically low for a long period of time. So when they're low, they only have one place to go. You know, eventually they're going to go up. Eventually, these interest rates have to have to go up, and what'll happen is everybody will adjust. As they do now, having one interest rate hike, if if it happens today of uh, twenty five basis points, which is what people are sort of estimating it would be, you know that in, in itself will have an effect. But it's not just that; it's it's what that signals. Like it usually signals that there's probably more to come. There'll be further hikes how gradual are they going to be? When are they going to be? Is it going to be six months from now? Is it going to be a year from now? But we're probably going to be trending in that direction. So it, it's a signal as much as an, an effect. Right. And and like you said, there's so many other factors going on here. We, we do have a minority government in place. They got to be careful. They got to try and build consensus. Otherwise we're having another election. So, you know, so so that you know, there's pressure that way as well. You know, are they get getting that consensus? So a lot of factors in here.
0: And, and you know, a lot of Canadians have variable mortgages, which are tied to the bank rate. And if the bank rate goes up, you know, the cost of borrowing every single month gets more expensive. On a hundred thousand dollar mortgage, 0.25% increase in a variable mortgage is um. I I think it's $250 more in interest uh, every year, which I mean, doesn't seem like a significant amount, but for, you know, if you have an $800,000 mortgage, you know, it turns into, you know, you're paying $300 more a month in just interest payments. Right. So, I mean, it is a significant amount and it's, it's a policy rate that affects a lot of Canadians. The majority of, uh, you know, the mortgages that we see uh, are a variable mortgage.
1: Yeah, well, I did see a, a study not long ago, and I think the the most recent data they showed was from 2020, so it's probably a little bit outdated. But, it, but at that time, 77% of mortgage holders had fixed rate mortgages as opposed to variable rates. So there's still a lot more people out there with fixed rate mortgages because you know, the rates were so low, a lot of people said, okay, I'm going to lock in for three years, five years, seven years, because the rate's relatively low, instead of taking, you know, you know, you're already at 2%, instead of saying, well, I can get 1.35, if I go variable, but you're only at 2% or something, that's pretty good, if you're locking in for the next number of years. So it was sort of that decision. So, so that's sort of the good news that a lot of people are on the fixed rate mortgages. The problem is, when those mortgages come up for renewal, because now they're going to come up for a renewal at higher interest rates. So can those people get their mortgages renewed at the higher interest rates? Or there's going to be an issue there, right? So this hits people with variable rates pretty immediately, you know, and, and then the fixed rate mortgage people are going to get hit too over the next little while. Because chances are when any of them that locked in over the last couple of years locked in at a fixed rate, when they come up for renewal, they're going to be renewing at a higher rate than they have now. Right. That's almost a given because the rates are not going to go down. They're only going to go up. It's Just a question of by how much. Absolutely. Now, for some people, I think we discussed this a little bit when we had on um, our, our mortgage expert a few weeks ago. Some of the variable rate mortgages are, are, are set up on the basis that they allow the people to keep their payments the same, even when the rates go up. Their monthly payments are the same. It just means that more goes to pay interest and less goes to pay principal, but at least allows them to keep their payments the same so they don't get hit immediately in the short term with a cash flow situation. But over the long term, they're, they're paying their mortgage down at a slower pace as and the rates lower go up. Right? Much it's slower, pace. right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the trick is to increase your, your principal payments as much as possible in, in the early amortization rate of the mortgage. Um, that, that allows you to pay it, pay it off as quick as possible. If you decrease your principal payment and increase your uh, interest payment, you know, you're really prolonging the life of the mortgage by a substantial amount of, of time. So, you know, a lot of these policies seem um, good and, and helpful. Right, but they can lead you down um, the wrong path if you're not careful. So, having the right advice is absolutely critical in, in these situations.
1: Yeah, and and anybody getting a mortgage has to pass certain mortgage stress tests, which are designed for this exact situation. You know, is the mortgage still going to be affordable when the mortgage rates go up? You know, by a certain amount. So. Uh, you know, it's probably good that that's in our system because that'll give people some protection as the rates go up. And and, and I think David, you probably agree with me. You, no matter what they announce today, it, the rates aren't going to double today, right? It's not likely to you know double over the next few months or anything like that. It's not going to be that type of a drastic. Well, I have rate. to
0: correct you. If they raise the rates by 0.25, because the current rate is 0.25, they actually will double. Well, up. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. It's not yeah. going to be a drastic change. No, I'm
1: talking about people's mortgage rates. You know, right? Not gotcha. the mortgage rates that they're actually paying. So if they're paying, you know, two point five percent or three percent on a mortgage right now, um, it's not going to six percent no, immediately. No, no, a couple of years from now, it, it we might be at six percent because you know doubling from three to six is, you know, we've had, you know, six rate, 6%, you know, many times in our, our history, like that's not, uh, you know, an abhorrent interest rate. Yeah. It is to anybody, you know, of the younger generation who's, who's been a first timer over the last decade, and they've only seen these interest rates really low, right? And then it's, you know, oh, wow, interest rates 5%, 6%. I think if we talked about this once before one of our podcasts, you know, my, my first interest rate, I bought my first house was 21 and three quarter percent. That was the real interest rate, TD Bank, 21 and three quarter percent for three years. Three years later, when I renewed, the real interest rate was 14 point something percent. I was so excited. My rate went down from that and I was so excited to pay 14 percent. Sorry, it might have been 12 percent. Even. Oh, that's like something like
0: that. I mean, that's almost you know forty percent, right?
1: Yeah, but can you imagine today if you told anybody, oh, you're you're going to pay an interest rate of twelve percent, uh, you know, like it is, you know, so we're a long, long way from getting into anything like that. And even in those days, with those rates, there was a real estate market. Oh,
0: absolutely, and, and you know what? The, we're going to talk about this in the second part of part of the podcast when we talk about Ukraine. Um, But Putin just announced that their interest rate went from 9.5% to 20%. So they raised their interest rates just a couple of days ago by 10.5%. So uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, 20% interest rates and, and not seeing that in our lifetime. But in Russia, that's the current reality of, of their banking system. So we're going to get into that. It's, it's really interesting when, when you look at the global economy and, and how our real estate is affected by it. Um, but for now, let's jump into a market update in, in, uh, in the GTA. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're still seeing a lot of activity out there, but buyers are really putting their foot down and pumping the brakes um and I think it's all to do with the war in Ukraine you know I think a lot of people are are uneasy about the situation in Europe um I, I think a lot of people are really monitoring it very closely I think a lot of people are shocked by uh, Russia's actions and and what uh, what they decided to to do and um Again, I don't want to get into this a little bit, uh, you know, too much at this stage, but we, we will be talking about this in the second part of the podcast. But uh, the whole world is reacting to to the situation and, and our real estate market is really no exception. So we are seeing the number of showings drastically drop. We're seeing the numbers of offers drastically reduce. But the interesting uh, trend is that it's not happening across all. All markets and all price range. It's happening on a select number of listings. So um, there's still certain cottage properties that when listed very low are still producing, you know, 20 multiple offers. We saw a listing yesterday um, sell for almost $500,000 over asking. We're still seeing a lot of activity in the lower price range, you know, anything under 800,000, right? But the difficult properties, the condominium properties; the properties are expensively priced. You know, we are seeing a reduction in showings and reduction number of offers, and uh, and then we're seeing downward pressure on price.
1: Yeah, and that's happening right now when we're at the beginning of March, when normally we're seeing a trend towards more showings, more supply coming on the market. You know, we're getting through the January, February weather and the doldrums, and people back to work, and the agents are back, and with you know those that took holidays are sort of back and ready to go, and they're usually getting their clients uh, staging in order and the decluttering and getting properties ready to come onto the market. So usually we would see it trending the other way a little bit now, and hopefully that that will happen. But and it looked like it was starting to happen, and then all of a sudden we got a war going on in the world. And that gives people real reason to pause, to just say, okay, I just want to wait and see what's what's going to happen right now. Let's see, you know, is this, you know, what's the price of gas going to be? How, how is this going to affect inflation? Are interest rates going to go up? How's the, how's our economy going to react to this? What type of supplies are we going to be short of while this is going on in the world, et cetera, et cetera? So some people would say, let's, it's a wait and see right there's there's a bit of a pause and people want to say okay i'm still interested in putting my property in the market but not right now not yet right
0: yeah and i think a lot of sellers are actually jumping in to to you know because they want to um take some of the uncertainty out of what happens next and then You know, they they want to cash out on the highest levels possible, especially people that have investment properties. So we have been seeing in the last um, couple of days, you know, a lot more listings coming in the market. We're also seeing a lot of the um, pricing strategies where listings are holding back offers, um, not sell on offer day and and getting relisted, canceled and relisted um, at, at the prices where the seller actually expects to, to get. So, you know, is adjusting and, and buyers, more importantly, are adjusting to the current uh, world stage and you know what we're again in, in really uncharted territory David right like I mean a lot of people were kind of looking forward to uh, exiting the COVID restrictions and, 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 and getting rid of the mandates and returning back to normal. Only right. the normal is 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 very different from from the world that any of us uh, really know or remember. Right.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much resigned personally already to the fact there is no normal anymore. I, I don't know what the normal is to get back to. I think there's been significant changes in the world uh, brought by COVID by other factors. Now we got a we got a, a major major world war conflict you know with the potential to escalate um so i don't know what that what normal is anymore like you know like is it all going to go away like would COVID disappear we pretend it never happened will the ukraine situation get solved and we'll we'll get back to as if it never happened i I don't think you ever completely go back you just adjust to what the new norm is and what and, and what's in front of you okay you can't wait That things are going to go back to what they were three years ago. I don't don't think the world waits for that. There's always something new and different. And I think we just have to keep adjusting. So anybody just waiting to go back to a norm, I think they're going to be waiting for the rest of their life because it's a moving target, right? So I don't think we can live like that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, David. We always keep talking about this in our podcast, but I'm going to say this again and I'm going to keep saying this because I think it's so important. And now more than ever, it's really hitting home home. And my question is, you know, if you were to raise a family in the world, where do you raise your family?
1: Well, how do you answer it? And then I'll tell you my answer.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I, I think you take Europe out of that equation now. You know, I, I think there's way too much risk to move to Europe, right? I was talking to a client uh, earlier today when I was on my way to work and, um, you know, they just sold their house They They got a phenomenal price. Uh, you know, they're extremely happy and, and the wife wants to take two months before the closing date and, and go to Poland. You know, and we had a really in-depth conversation, you know, and the husband's really worried, doesn't think that's a good idea. And, you know, I called my grandparents over the weekend and my grandmother lives uh, 60 kilometers from the Belarus, uh, Belarus border. Uh, 30 kilometers from her is a major. Um,
1: she's in Poland, right? She's in Poland, in yes. In Poland. In Poland. Right.
0: Um, 30 kilometers from her is a major um, army base, Right. And she's extremely frightened. Yeah. So close to home. And, right. and and Europe is a lot smaller than most people think it is. And it's way more interconnected as well. And the history is way more interconnected, intertwined as well. And you know, people of Europe have seen this before throughout history. It's not the first time where you know Prussia or Russia or the USSR or, or, or certain forces invade and you know, there there's major conflicts and countries, you know, borders don't exist and, and, and countries disappear from the map and they're they're ruled and conquered by 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 other countries. But in our lifetime, we've never experienced this, right? But again, the question is where do you you know where do you go? Where do you, you raise your family? And I think you have to take Europe off that list. I think there's way too much risk, I think there's way too much conflict, I think Europe is small, right? And, and like my grandmother said, you know, she's 60 kilometers from the border. I mean, I saw the speed of those tanks. Like those tanks are going quick for them to cover 60 kilometers. That's like three hours,
1: right? Well, and, and there's a lot of um, missiles that can cover that distance pretty fast too, right? So the, the, like, you, know, you can't tell her not to be concerned, not to be afraid. It, you know, as you say, like, you know, we think, of Europe and we think of countries and they're all these big landmasses but they're not like Canada is an enormous landmass the oh, US is an enormous yes. landmass Russia's you know Russia proper is in a big enormous landmass but most of the, the other European countries are small they're all most of them are
0: way smaller than the province of Ontario I, I was just going to say so Poland's smaller than the uh the province of Ontario the population is bigger than yeah the, it's densely Canada,
1: populated right? from you know we have so much land that's not not used you know, and unpopulated, but it, in those countries, they're, they're really densely populated.
0: Oh, yeah yeah. So, funny, I, I mean, you know,
1: you look back and I think my ancestors and, and your ancestors were neighbors to some extent, because the Corman family um, was in what is now Belarus. I'm going back my grandparents. Oh, okay. At the time that they were there. It was Russia. It was part of Russia. They used to call it like white Russia um, in Minsk, you know, the, the Minsk, the capital of Belarus. So they were in the Minsk province in a town called Pinsk. And it turns out my my father's family was there. And in the same general neighborhood, my mother's family, my, my grandparents on both sides were there. And in the, they got thrown out. They were, you know, landowners, business owners there and they got thrown out. Um, before the Second World War, like sort of between the wars, they were thrown out of their homes. And, you know, so we certainly have sympathy for people to become refugees. And they ended up coming to Canada with nothing. You know, just like you see all these images now, people, you know, all the, you know, now we've got a world where you can see this. Everybody's got a smartphone and we see these mothers with their babies in their strollers pushing, trying to get to the Polish border to get out of Ukraine, right? And you, you just want to cry as you watch, as he's watched these images, so that's what my grandparents' experience, too, and uh, you know, and this was you know, eventually that part of um, of the world became Belarus, you know, at, at which what became part of the Soviet Union, Belarus then became independent Belarus, and now it's clearly a puppet state to to Russia too, right? So, uh, you know, r- you know, right near the the border there, like we were, our families were neighbors. Wow. So you know, same territory, and and like you see, you know, in our lifetime we haven't, you know, like since the Second World War, uh, you know, many of us, you know, haven't experienced. There's there's been other incidences around the world where there's been these refugee crises. There's been other attacks, but first one in Europe since the Second World War to this extent, you know, and I don't want to, you know, what happened in Crimea, you know, there was a takeover there too. The world didn't react the same way. Um, but certainly the world is reacting now as it should.
0: As it should. And and you know, I, I think Putin is a very proud man. And I think, you know, the soccer teams canceling their matches, and um, you know, every single organized sport organization is putting pressure. I, I mean, I I heard uh, Wayne Gretzky speak out the other day about um, and encouraging the hockey league to cancel the the hockey tournament and i mean russia has a great hockey team right like extremely yes. strong hockey team so um you know russian tennis players um i mean um rublev just won a tournament and you know as he was uh, signing his name on the camera he put no war yeah. right so, i mean a lot of people are, are are putting pressure on on russia and on putin to um, you know, really stop what, what he's doing and, and to rethink his actions and, and showing their um, dismay and, 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 you know, not giving their support for the situation. And, and I think that's going to be the biggest difference maker in, uh, in, in, in driving Putin to uh, rethink his actions. And, you know, what I'm hoping for is that, you know, people really rise up internally and, and, and throw him out of power.
1: Within Russia, within Russia, within yeah, and I, I agree to you. that. That's to me, that's the ultimate solution or the way this is going to stop, because I I don't think he cares about the general population in Ukraine. I don't think he's worried about civilian casualties. No, uh, he's gonna he's gonna increase c- civilian casualties to put the pressure on him to get to Zelensky, and get 100%. them out, right. I don't think he cares about his own soldiers and, mm-hmm. and his own population and then and the devastating Washington effect on
0: every single World War. I mean, like, look what they did in World War Two. Like, I mean, they shot their own soldiers who, um, you know, were retreating and, and and weren't advancing and weren't pushing forward. I mean, that's just, you know, that that's just the uh, politics that they play. Yep
1: and and with all the sanctions that the world is now putting on Russia and, and look at like you said the the drastic effects already in their economy and the high interest rates and the collapse of the ruble and you know and there's more to come and they're going to start feeling it right now they know it's coming cuz the sanctions but but some of it's not felt yet day to day but that's all coming they're going to their supply chains are going to be cut off too and the average person in Russia on the street eventually is going to start feeling it right the ones that don't feel it as as fast are the, the oligarchs and the and the wealthy, because you know, if they've got 20 billion dollars and you take away 10 billion dollars, they still got 10 billion dollars. It's not changing their lifestyle. You know, they're they're annoyed, they're upset, they don't like it, but it's you know how how much has to happen till it actually changes their lifestyle. But to the average Russian working person, this is gonna affect them pretty fast, right? And I think they're the ones that sort of have to find a way to rise up and say, you know, like no more and and we've got to get to them. Uh, It's hard in that country because anybody that speaks out, we've seen the protests, you know, peaceful protests even, and it doesn't matter, you know, protests in Russia, they're they're rounding up people and they haul them away and they do it as to set an example for the rest of the crowd. Like we're going to indiscriminately just grab certain people out and goodbye, you may never see them again.
0: Yeah, that's going to get you to think twice to go to a protest.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you got to think about it. I, I give all those people so much credit for showing up. And, and I hope more of them have the courage to do it, because I think that's going to be the way this thing might, might end when there's enough pressure or someone just takes out Putin and that's only going to happen from his inner circle because no one else will get near him. Um but other than that, there's going to be a lot lot more people are going to die in Ukraine for sure before any of this happens
0: uh, yeah it's it's really unfortunate, but uh the one theme that prevails in all of this, David, is you know the fact that you, you know if you're in Ukraine or if you're in Russia, what would you give to live in Canada? you know, and enjoy the freedoms that, that we enjoy on an everyday basis, you know. And it, again, it's as basic as having clean air, clean water. You know, these are, you know, the, the, these are such fundamental freedoms that we take for granted every day, right? Yeah. If you live in Ukraine right now, you don't have running water and you don't have power right because the infrastructure is the first thing that's attacked right they it's psychological warfare they they want people to be scared they want people to be cold they want people to you know be out of their comfort zone yeah
1: and uh, they're showing tremendous bravery there by by staying and and saying they're not leaving they're going to fight Um, You know, we have an example, even in in our office, one of our senior law clerks is is Ukrainian descent, and you know, she's been here for a long time, um, but with still strong roots there. And she's got a sister back in Ukraine living in the middle of the country, a small town. And, um, you know, I asked her yesterday what's doing. Her sister's basically been living in a bomb shelter since this started even though they don't think where she lives is, is, is a, as likely a target because it's sort of a small town in the middle. It's, it's not as, as strategic, but there's bombings in the neighboring towns and villages. Like there's, you know, They hear it. Um, and her brother-in-law, when this started, happened to be in Warsaw on business. So here's, here's a male adult. I don't know how old exactly he is, but he's probably in his 50s, 40s or 50s for sure and so if he so if he was in ukraine he wouldn't be allowed out he's he happened to be out when this started and as of two days ago, he's back in
0: he's you back know,
1: in. he came back in to fight wow you know I mean, Siegel. i have so much so,
0: respect for people like that and then you see it all over social media you know you see um miss ukraine you know with armed yes. with a weapon you see uh, a lot of billionaires. You see a lot of uh, the heavyweight champion of the world is 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 you know taking up arms and defending yeah. this country, and you know it's a it's a reality that we as Canadians uh, hopefully never really have to um, understand what that feels like. Yeah. But I, I and I do. we don't
1: know what kind of choices we'd be making in the same situation. Like you know, like no. in that example, like here. Her, her brother-in-law's already out. So one choice is I'm already in Poland. Tell his wife and their kids, you can, you know, you can get out, you know, find a way, get to the Polish border and get out and join me there. And we can stay in Poland or maybe we'll move to Canada or, you know, we have a connection there. We can be taken. No, their, their choice was, we're going to stay and fight. You stay there in the bunker and I'm coming back. Like that's, I don't know if I could have made those choices personally. Like those are
0: hard choices, and and you know what, those con- choices have big consequences too. I mean, you know, war is different today than than it was, you know, in World War II. Weapons are different. You know, like like you said, these bombs, sixty kilometers, somebody can press a button, and you know, sixty from sixty kilometers away, bomb comes in, bomb comes down, and that's the end of the war for you, right? right. It's right. not like, you know, clear line of sight, you know, where the, where, where, where the army is, you know, where you have to avoid like, like war is just fought in such different ways today. And, um, so it's, uh, it, it's something that we're very fortunate that we don't have to experience or, or, you know, at least now we don't have to think about.
1: Yeah. And, and it's part of the scary thing about these, this type of war, when you know that the technology exists, where things, where the attacks and, you know, and the bombs and the, you know, the missile strikes can be pretty precise with the current technology. And that you still see residential apartment buildings being hit, right? And they're not sitting right beside some other piece of infrastructure and they were just off by a couple of degrees and they meant to hit this piece of infrastructure and instead they hit this apartment building you know, by accident. Like you can tell that these are targeted Right? So so where are you safe? And I think that's exactly what Putin's message is. There's nowhere to hide. You can't be, we don't know, not gonna tell you where we're gonna drop bombs. We could be it could be anywhere. Right? So they want to create that terror. Right. And it takes a lot of strength to to stand up, try and stand up to that and stick around and fight.
0: Question is, David, is this gonna put Upward pressure on our on our real estate values in Canada. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, you know you, you've raised a really good question, like, you know where would you want to live in the world, right? And I think you know Canada has been a, an excellent choice for a long time and still remains that. We have a you know, a very big Ukrainian population in Canada. The largest in GTA. We have agree. an enormous Russian population. We have an enormous Russian population in the GTA. We have an enormous Chinese population in the GTA. So these are, and some of these are people that still have ties to these other countries like to Russia, to China, but they've elected, like it's better for us and our future generations to live in Canada. Let's get our assets out of those countries. Let's let, cause Canada is a better place. Some of these people you want nothing to do with their former homeland because they have economic ties and they have reasons to still be in touch and they still have family and friends and stuff back there. But they'd rather live here. You know, They clearly would rather live here because they're safer here. They're better off here. Their kids will be better off. Their grandkids will be better off. So we're likely to get an influx of more refugees from these areas you know coming here or wanting to come here and uh, we, we've got to find a way to absorb them you know now we're bringing in refugees it's different than an immigration program you know immigration program they're coming usually with some assets with some expertise with some knowledge they got certain tests they got to pass you know to to get in here refugees are a different situation we got to take them in find them a place to live hopefully find them a job etc so but uh, you know, A lot of people, you know, and I know lots of people, you know, double lots of people over the years in the Russian community and, and currently a lot in the Chinese community too. And a lot of them, you know, you know, they love their homeland and they've got strong ties to it, but, but they want to be in Canada. They know there's, there's certain things that, that aren't good there and they'd rather be here.
0: Yeah. And I think that message is just going to get amplified, you know, as, as things unfold in Europe and, know i had uh, a couple clients move to spain and um you know i'm in touch with them and uh you know everybody's nervous you know nobody feels safe like i mean like again europe is you know is smaller than we think and um you know it's going to be really interesting to see how many of the people have moved to europe over the last couple years you know come back to canada because of the current situation because of you know what's going on there but Again, I, I always do the test of, you know, if you raise your family, where would you rather live in the world? And my argument is that you have to take Europe off until things, you know, settle down and um, and then there's peace again.
1: Yep. And, you know, and if you're coming from that part of the world, um, do you want to come to Canada versus the United States? Um you know, is the US a good alternative? Is that a good option right now too? Like it's, things are, are tough in that country right now too. A lot of instability and, um, you know, cause that was, you know, extremely popular choice for people, you know, leaving Europe in the last century, obviously to, you know, to get into the US as, you know, the, the land of the free, et cetera. And, and um, people are thinking twice about that option right now too because it's such a polarized country and, and doesn't seem as stable now as it did five years ago. Right. So, you know, Canada, a lot of ways is still a better option. We have our own problems with our own (laughs) political climate and lack of an opposite run in the run in the show um, in a minority position. So we got our own issues politically, but still, it's, it's safer. It's um, still a good place, a great place to, to raise a family.
0: D- David, let me ask you a question. Because um, you mentioned the states and, and the polarization that's happening there, you mentioned, you know, our uh, political system, you know, Russia is obviously um, challenging democracy as well in Europe. Do you think there's consensus or 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 this push by by governments around the world uh, to limit democracy and infringe on 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 our democracy um because i mean that's what's kind of happening in the united states right
1: and yeah I, you know the united states which was the leader in the democratic system is showing cracks because they've become so polarized in the last few years, and I think it causes some other places to question that. Now they're not at the point where there's a, a civil war going on there yet, but they got to be careful that they don't go down that that route. You know, be, you know, I watched the State of the Union address last night, and I watched. I've been watching them forever. You know, regardless of who's in in power, and it's you know, it's a Democratic president, it's a Republican president, and Great. The fact that it goes back and forth from Republican to, to uh, Democrat is great. You know, let them get four years, let them get eight years in power, and then somebody else is in. And when that next person gets in, it was always a congratulations, your turn. We're going to try and get you out of office by political <laughs> means. But on certain issues, we're going to unite and support and, you know, and grow our country. And it was truly democracy. Now, you know, when you watch it, it's you know, it's like they won't give anybody any credit, you know, like Biden makes a speech last night, you know, whether you like his speech, don't like his speech, he, he's talking about uniting. He's talking about uniting NATO and, and their the role there and, you know, and the positive, you know, and he gets some some applause from everybody. But as soon as he's done, you get a response from the opposition and they just they blame what's going on in Ukraine on Biden, not on Putin. It's Biden's policies, everything Biden's done in the one year that he's been in charge, is the reason that Putin is now in Ukraine. Like, like they just find a way to spin it, mm-hmm. that it's all Biden's fault, right? So, well, so I don't think that would have happened eight years ago in a response, in the same situation. Like they give, yeah. you give some credit, you give some support, and you say there's certain policies we don't agree with, we think we're better off doing this than what they're doing, mm-hmm. argue your position. But it's so polarizing now.
0: I mean, David, I think you, you know, look at Russia's decision to invade, you know, I I think it was timely in the fact that, um, like you mentioned, there are cracks in the armor in the United States, right? And and they are dealing with a lot of issues and a lot of polarized views and some instability internally. And I think, you know, if if you were to strategize, um, you take advantage of those weaknesses. Right. And unfortunately, no um, you know, people kind of looked at how the states dealt with Afghanistan and the withdrawal in, in, Afga- in, in Afghanistan and um, the United States policy forever was never leave anybody behind. Right. And right. Here and, and, and here it's just like, what happened? Right. right. And, uh, you know, if I'm Putin, I'm watching this, i think to myself you know what they're weak they've made mistakes you know biden's a weak leader and there's cracks in the armor and you know what if our goal for the last 20 years has been to accomplish this you know probably right now is is the best political time to to go and do it right right but but we'll never know if
1: we know that he's been planning this for a long time. This has been on the agenda for a long time. He's just got to wait for the right time. Right. We don't know if he may have made the decision the right time was two years ago and COVID hit and his troops were sick and people were, and he decided to wait. We've got to wait out COVID before we go in. Like, we don't know for sure. We don't know if he would have done this when Trump was in power. You know, like Trump, last week called him a genius. So maybe he would feel, I've got, You know, I, you know, I'm better off doing it while Trump's in power, but he couldn't because of COVID. You know, like, we don't know that, but they spin it both ways. You know, both parties are spinning it the way they want to spin it, right? This oh, you know, you listen to the, oh, this never would have happened if Trump was in, you know, and the the Democrats saying the opposite thing, you know, like, this would have been so much worse if Trump was in, because he'd be doing it because he'd have the blessing of Trump calling him a genius, and Trump wouldn't be able to rally NATO, to, to support Ukraine. So you can spin it and look at it both ways. Right. And, and that's part of the problem. You know, I, I think you talk about, you know, a good example of democracy. I've seen a couple interviews in Ukraine from the former presidents of Ukraine, the guy that Zelensky took over from, and they're there with armor on fighting in the trenches, completely supporting Zelensky, right, you know, they're the opposition parties, they're the guys they would rather be in power. Zelensky beat them out. And these guys are totally supporting their president, who's in there, right, because they accept the fact that he won, there was an election, he won, he's the guy. And Zelensky, you got to give him a lot of credit, too. He's not trying to be the dictator of Ukraine. He's just the president. He accepts the position. It's me right now, and a few years from now it'll be the next guy's turn. But right now, I have the responsibility to to deal with this. You know, and that's what leadership in Canada used to look like. That's what leadership in the U.S. used to look like. You know, I would have liked Biden to say that last night. Like, right now, I'm the president, but a few years from now, I might not be. It might be some another Democrat. It might be me for another four years, or it might be a Republican. But it doesn't matter. We're still the United States. We still have to stay united, we still have to carry on. We're just holding this position for a period of time and look at the danger of what would happen if you let an autocrat become president of the United States. So I don't, I don't care if a Republican becomes president of the United States, but not that Trump guy because he's a danger, to, right? You know, like you deliver that type of message too, right? And, and that's where I, I give tons of credit to someone like Zelensky for being able to convey that type of thing no, i'm the guy in charge right now it's not my country
0: get rid of me doesn't change the attitudes of all
1: get rid of me doesn't mean they're going to say okay let's, right and i think he conveys that message he was just elected to to be on behalf of the people he's the guy running the controlling the ship right now
0: for a period of time and that's how a democracy works and i think the whole world is admiring the fact that you know what he is showing tremendous leadership and and the fact that his life is in danger right and uh he's still standing with the people and 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 you know that is the greatest sign of leadership there is right it's it, uh you know look what happened with trudeau when the freedom convoy was on their way to ottawa the first thing he did is uh, scream that he has COVID, and uh, he uh, he ran out of Ottawa. I mean, like like look at those polar opposites. Like they're it, it's you know it's even hard to um, mention it in the same breath.
1: Right. You know, and, and when you look at that too, um, you know, look at the freedom fighters. You know, we're looking for here. You know, saying. You know, us, forcing us to wear masks, forcing us you know, to have these certain mandates to, you know, to perform certain jobs only if we are vaccinated or, or go through certain protocols is, a, is taking away certain freedoms, okay? Yeah, that's, that's all true. Like, I'm not saying that those, those aren't legitimate, and I support them in, in a lot of that stuff. But when you see, like, you know, a week or two later what freedom issues really are with what's going on in Ukraine. Like this is like such minuscule differences as opposed to what freedom truly, truly is. So keep that in perspective, right? Like nobody was taking away their homes from them and confiscating their businesses or bombing their homes and, you know, or forcing them to flee the country, right? They were just saying, we're trying to keep everybody safe and healthy So right or wrong, you know, best of the innovation we have where we've been imposing these mandates because we're trying to keep everybody healthy. That's the goal. We're not trying to impose, infringe on your freedom. We're trying to keep everybody healthy. Yeah, we made some mistakes because it's not an exact science, but that's the intent. We're not trying to take people away from freedom. But in the course of doing that, we live in a society. What one person does affects another person. So we pass certain mandates, just like we pass laws every single day. And rules and regulations every single day, you know. You have condo rules. You're not allowed pets in this building. Oh, that's taking away my fundamental freedoms. Well, no, you're free to live in another building that has pets, but this building happens to be no pet. That's a law. That's a rule that's passed by a vote. You're either going to accept the vote, accept the democratic vote, and live with it, or you're going to live somewhere else. So we got to keep that in all these types of things in perspective. And I'm totally in favor and support the Freedom Party for protesting, for trying to get these mandates eliminated. It's affecting their livelihood. Go ahead. Peaceful protest lobby. Do whatever you got to do. There's a lot of democratic means to get your voice heard. Right. I think you and and you sort of supported that, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think you and I had a conversation a couple of days ago and I mentioned to you that. you know, at one point I was thinking about, you know, possibly doing, you know, a money donation to the Freedom Convoy. And, um, you know, that didn't happen for one reason or another. But, um, you, you know, it's it's interesting that your government decides to, you know, freeze accounts and and go after those people. And the chief of police says, hey, we're going to hunt you down, whatever that right. means. I don't know what that means, but... Right. Um, Pretty, uh, pretty scary language that that's being used. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it's it's different if you give you know some money to an organization that really wishes harm. You know, is a terrorist organization, right? Right. And you support their views, and you know, these people are talking about you know doing something like really illegal and 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 immoral. Completely get it, right? But you know to fund bouncing cussles and and hog dog vendors and 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 cotton candy machines in the streets and and you know i think it's important to take the young generation and 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 show them that hey you know what the society that we live in and the freedoms that we enjoy every every day you know they came at a cost at one point this this wasn't something that was given to us we had to fight for this right that's right We had to go through world wars and you know our our ancestors fought and died in the war and you know throughout history we always had to fight for our rights right and and now is no different i mean we just you know we have to keep fighting for our rights you know And, and we have that right we have a right to say to the government hey listen you know for two years we were we were you know these these are difficult times for us Right. But now it's it's also time that our voice is heard and that we go back to some sort of a normal like we're tired. We're and, and, and you know, you need to hear our point of view. Right. Right. And for a large part, the government wasn't hearing our point of view. No, so. No uh,
1: yeah. And they were making some mistakes and they're making some bad decisions, um, but some of that's in in hindsight, because like there was course. no playbook here's, oh, COVID's coming, here's the playbook, here's how we deal with it, right? It's So, and I don't mean to say that as making excuses for the provincial government, the federal government, the, the local government, you know, they're, they're doing their best in very difficult situations. But you have to rem- remind yourself that whether it's these COVID mandates, or it's other policies, or our taxation rates, or all kinds of things, there's, there's a lot of things that we don't like decisions made by the government in power but we have accepted that we're living in a democratic society so there's democratic means of going about to get those things changed and ultimately it's voting those people out of office and making your voices heard at the election and we still have you know more than half of our population don't show up to vote right and some of those same people that were freedom fighters that were out there you know you know if you could ask them you know did you vote in the last election did you bother to vote right and it's 50% probably didn't, 50% probably didn't, right? So still they have the right to lobby. They've got the right, they have the right to peaceful protest. They've got the right to write letters to their, to the, to the minister, to the prime minister, to local politicians, to write emails, to have campaign. There's a lot of means to do it, to get, you know, companies on board. There's lobbyists. There's a lot of democratic means to get their voices heard. I and mean, when they're not being heard. Find the next means. What they can't do and the mistake they made at some point is, is cross the line to some extent from the peaceful protest to a blockade where you're infringing on, you know, ability for, for supplies to come across a border and things like that, for things to get in and out of downtown Ottawa and, and it disrupting other people's ability to go about their commerce and their daily lives. So they crossed the line and I'm saying all of them. A certain element of them which are the ones that you get to see on the news were more extreme and then and the media picks up on that and they start showing some of the wackos that join these things instead of who the mainstream right. peaceful protesters were
0: right because
1: i'm sure 90 95 percent of the people were, were very peaceful protesters and we saw lots of those images too but the media plays up more of the five percent or ten percent wackos that show up because they'll show up to any to any fight right and they just make it worse so you know we got to be careful Democrats, society to not cross that line to find the peaceful means you know be aggressive but but don't cry. now then you got a government that went completely overboard in the reaction the other way like that's you know that's not good either
0: and the other thing is you know a simple conversation you know just meet meet with them like i mean You know these are people that you know have worked hard you know have have carried supplies and and throughout the pandemic have delivered supplies and have kept our shelf stocks and kept our products you know arriving at our houses that we 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 bought and you know these people had legitimate concerns and and I completely agree that Trudeau didn't support any of the viewpoints but you know, I, I think a president or a PM or a prime minister needs to listen to everybody, whether he agrees with them or not, you know, and especially yeah. the people that you don't agree with, you should listen to them more just just to make sure that, you know, you're not a, out of touch with reality and um, that you listen to everybody. That's yeah. part of your constitution. Yeah.
1: Part of the issue, and this isn't to apologize for anything that Trudeau or, or anybody in charge is when you say, you know, listen to them, like, you know, who was the leader? Who exactly would they be listening to? You know, what, was there one person or one group of people that were clearly in charge of this whole thing with a mandate from everybody else saying, yes, we all agree. And they're, the, they're, the, they're our speakers. They're, their our voices because we all agree with, with that person's position. And I, I don't think that ever came out. So that sort of makes it hard because the system is okay you've you got you have to you know we have a system okay you've got your your voices you want your voices to then you elect somebody to be your representative to voice your opinion and that's what the whole democratic system is based on we we have people in every community running to be the voice of that community and we to choose which one we're going to elect and we're electing that person we send them to Ottawa to be the voice of our community and to express our our concerns and that's the way it works so it's hard when you're in that type of situation like You know, who is the one person or the or the group of five that clearly had a mandate to meet with the prime minister or something to express the concerns over everybody, all these freedom fighters across the country? Like, it's not organized to that level, unfortunately. So they so whether they want to have a meeting or not, like who exactly who are they going to be meeting with and how are they going to know that what that they actually have the voice of that whole group?
0: You know, it it, uh, it seems like such a pale thing to focus on in in the grand scheme of things, especially now when we we look at the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, it, uh, it it's just you know a small shadow on a large map, right? Not that I'm not saying it's not important, because I think it's it's absolutely important, and I think that um, you know even when you mention there's much bigger infringement on, on freedoms in the world, right? But it starts at a certain point. And I think, um, you know, the earlier you address it, yes. right? The, the the less likelihood that it goes down a, a really bad path, yes. right? Yeah. It, yeah.
1: No, the, I, I agree with that. It's a slippery slope and you don't want that snowball to start getting, man, oh, you know, we took away certain freedoms. We didn't get a lot of pushback. Let's take it to the next level, right? So yeah, I agree 100%. percent we got to be very careful with that. And that's what a lot of people were feeling, like that there's too much empowerment. This wasn't a short-term thing that maybe this is going to continue because we've emboldened the the prime minister. We've emboldened our our premier to to make certain decisions, right? So I know I agree with you 100%. You know, in the meantime, domestically, that's, calm down a little bit now we're in a good situation where where the mandates are being lifted anyways you know we're certainly feeling that here as of yesterday in Ontario a lot more freedom out there we can now attend the Leafs games and the Raptor games Raptors had a pretty full crowd last night no masks no vaccine required we're at a much better Um, state so hopefully that's going to continue and we're sort of and we're coming out of that and hopefully that will drive people to get back into the economy and start buying and, and doing certain things. And, and that hopefully will reflect on the, on the real estate market too. So we got that optimistic side happening locally. And then at the same time that that's just getting going, everybody's concerned about what's going on in Ukraine, which might temper it a, a little bit. Cause otherwise I thought we'd be in for a really good push this spring and people are like so happy to get out there and to, get back to work, you know, you know, get out of their homes. And we talked about it in our management meeting yesterday. Do we get everybody back, you know, into the office? And, and we're going to be telling our, our people that, uh, you know, as of April, beginning of April, that's what our plan is right now. We're going to, and only because we could do it today, but we're able to function so well during COVID with keeping people spread apart and working remotely and working in the, you know, and back and forth. So we don't have to fix it. So I thought, you know, let's be conservative, but let's just wait and see how things go over the next couple of weeks. Because there might be a spike as everybody gets back together. So, but, but our plan is, you know, we'd love to get everybody back in the office. Let's get back to, you know, we're, we're trying to discover that normalcy. What's the normal? Certain things we're gonna try and get back to that, that normal. And, and hopefully everybody will get out there and, and that'll, we'll feel this in the real estate community too. When people will get back saying, "Okay, I'm ready to, you know, to sell my house again. Let's get it on the market. Let's go. I really want to move. Been waiting for two years to make a move. Let's let's do it." So, and and even with interest rates, if they do go up, it doesn't mean it stops the real estate industry. It just gives it just another factor in the decision that people make about what's affordable to them. Right.
0: This is hot hot off the press. It's ten oh two. And the Bank of Canada did raise rates by 0.25%. 0.25. So the bank, okay. uh, bank rate is now 0.5. We did see that marginal increase that everybody was talking about. Um, and uh, I, I just read the, uh, the news release and basically they're talking about the war in Ukraine. They're talking about prices for oils and commodities have risen sharply. And then they're anticipating that there's gonna be continued pressure which is gonna influence uh, inflation. Um, And they're gonna do their uh, major um, market analysis and release the report in a couple. Uh, And the next target uh, rate uh, announcement is April 13th. So in about six weeks.
1: And it's possible to go up again. So what happens when interest rates go up? Oftentimes there is a bit of a push in the real estate market to get their deal done now before the rates get higher and refinance now before the rates go up even more, right? So sometimes this actually causes more people to get into the real estate market and to, and to change whatever they're doing in the real estate market because they're anticipating it might get higher. The other thing it does, it, it, those that have been dying to make a change and make a move and sitting on it for the last couple of years I think are still going to want to do it. They, they just have to recalibrate and they may not, you know, if they thought they could afford a home that was a million dollars before, maybe they're only going to afford a home. That's, that's $900,000 or, or something. They're going to have to adjust a little bit because, you know, because of the, the interest. It doesn't mean that they can't move or they can't go somewhere. They just might not be able to look at the prop, some of the properties that they would have otherwise gone to, but I think they're still going to choose to, to do it.
0: Yeah, I don't think this is going to make a big change, um, even in affordability, you know, it doesn't make a huge difference. I think, you know, consumer confidence, I think we're, we're still, um, you know, looking at a global scale, we're still the country to live in, we're still the country to invest in, and and that's not going to change. And if anything, those sentiments and those feelings are going to be even harder driven forward. So yeah. um still encourage a lot of people to invest in our real estate market. Um, As we go into this uncertain period, I think keeping the fundamentals and and keeping true to the fundamentals is extremely important, extremely important to buy AAA properties, locations are very important, Uh, best of breed properties, and remember these properties are always in demand, there's certain streets in Oakville, certain streets in Toronto, certain streets in every city where, you know, people just want to live there. So no matter what happens, no matter where our economy is, no matter what's happening in the world, you know, there's always going to be transactions. People are always going to be buying and selling. People are always going to be motivated, right? You just have to have the right realtor to represent you and guide you through our current situation.
1: Well said, David. And uh, interesting podcast for us, a little bit off the off the normal track today but um but that's the world we live in and and you and I you know we talk about all part of our podcast from day one we talk about not just our our businesses my law firm your your brokerage but you know but how it affects us as owners of our of our businesses and and how it affects us as just people in the community and everything and and that's sort of the beauty of a podcast that we you know we speak our mind we're not expressing any drastic uh, you know, political positions, but we're, but politics are part of it and it concerns us all and we can't ignore it. But, you know, bottom line is we live in the greatest country in the world. And I think we live in the greatest province in that country in the world and the greatest community within that province in the world. And I think we're very fortunate that we're here and our families are here and we, and we live in a thriving part of the world and that'll continue to do so. And, uh, and we're lucky to be part of the real estate industry.
0: David, I'm going to take a sound bite of that because I think that really nails the point home, and and that's always going to be a driver of our real estate prices. You know, yep. if you want the best, you you got to pay for it. It comes at a price. certain price,
1: but it's and, worth it, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's worth it. Worth it. <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> Listen, I I encourage you guys reach out to David and I. We're always available. We want to hear from you. One want to hear your uh, your feedback, want to hear your thoughts on on everything that we discussed today. And if you have any questions about the general real estate market, if you have any questions about investments, if you have any legal questions, reach out to us. We're always available.
1: We are. And uh, thank you for those that have been tuning in regularly to watch these podcasts. Please uh, continue to do that. We get some great feedback from it. And, and if you're a lawyer out there, I can make a little commercial. We're looking for another lawyer. We need another lawyer to join us. We're looking for the next really good team player. We're looking for another uh, clerk, uh, anybody out there that wants to join a, a good firm with some great people and a great team, please uh, get in touch with me. We've got some openings.
0: Awesome guys. Well, listen, stay safe, everybody. If you have family in Europe uh, you know, my heart goes out to them. Um, and uh you know, we're, we're, we're just very fortunate to, to live uh, where we do and to enjoy the peace, the, tr- um, you know, I'm going to say this again, clean water, clean air, but it's something that, you know, we enjoy every day. and And now more than ever, it's hitting home how important those fundamental freedoms are. Amen. Take also, care, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join
1: us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a powerhouse brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors.
0: And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a respected law firm specializing in residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham.